0: hello folks my name is maddie b and you are listening to yet another episode of there's too much to think i know it's been a minute but i am back i am back home um away from college and whatnot so back to part two of the murder of barbara Jean horn if you haven't listened to part one you will be very confused so please listen to part one before you listen to this one now, this episode is going to be yet another long one. I would not be surprised if this is yet another hour-long episode. So I am just going to cut it short here, and let's dive right into the railroading of Walter Ogrod. Again, listen to part one, please. <laughs> So the railroading being one of the houses in the neighborhood where Barbara Jean originally disappeared it should come to no surprise that Walter O'Grodd as well as the Greens and anyone else who had been living in the house at the time were questioned when the crime originally happened in 1988. When O'Grodd and the Greens were first questioned all they said um, according to the book done by Thomas Lowenstein called the trials of Walter ogrod the shocking murder so-called confession and notorious snitch that sent a man to death row Walter had explained that he had been home for most of the day of the crime only to go to the store ab- at about 2:45 and return shortly 30 40 minutes later um after that John Fay had knocked on the door asking if anyone had seen his daughter Linda Green as well as, the, as well as her daughter Alice were able to corroborate uh Ogrod's story. Given the fact that he was 6'2 with jet black hair, a little chubby, and had a speech impediment, all while he was in his twenties at the time, he looked more like a teenager. Um, all while he was, you know, in his twenties at the time and looked more like a teenager. Therefore not matching the original five, six to five, nine with sandy hair and looking to be somewhere in his 30s around 165 to 175 pounds when Walter was around 200. And there was the guy um, who talked to the suspect, which he would have not- noticed the uh, speech impediment the original investigators were like, it's probably not Walter, his story checks out, and literally everything else about him checks out. So in 1992, however, two detect- two dickhead detectives by the names of Martin Devlin and Paul Worrell decided that if uh, it wasn't the parents, it would have to be, quote, the weird guy on the block. Four years later, when Walter had moved out and lived in an apartment originally with a friend, but later down the line he would um, be able to afford the apartment by himself. Um, It was about 10 to 15 minutes from where he used to live. Um, He earned his truck license and worked at a couple places driving part-time for UPS and then another driving delivery company, but he got fired because he accidentally scratched the side of one of the trucks. In September 1990, he got a job delivering for for a bakery called Baked Right Rolls, um, even though he worked a lot um, and when he was done working, he hardly had time to go out. Walter still had a couple of friends. Um, he even had a dog. So after everything, he seemed to just be getting his life back together, right? So at 5 p.m. in the en- at the end of March, these two quote-unquote detectives who showed up, um, with their supervisor, something that rarely happens with, um, informational witnesses, which is what they claim that Walter is up until the point that he breaks down and cries in the investigation room, um, Walter but Walter doesn't answer so they talked to the landlord asking a couple questions about Walter they even asked him if Walter had a weight set but the detectives would later claim that uh, they knew nothing about the weight set until later when um Walter confessed um using a pipe or a bar from his weight set um so hold on to that for later because my goodness um they left a note for him to come in on sunday um on the day on the day that the detectives came by walter had gone to work took his dog on a two-hour walk and went to a comic book store he had been collecting comics since he was a child and did this twice a month he also picked up his weekly chinese dinner so two days later he got home around 10.30 a.m. because originally his, his delivery run was supposed to end at 4 a.m., but they were like, hey, could you do this for overtime? Just this one, it, it won't be as long as your other one. He ended up driving, I believe it's 300 miles. So, uh, so then he came home at 10.30 a.m., uh, he ate and showered, then called the number on the note. Walter admitted that he was tired and wanted to do the interview over the phone, um, as is his right. Worrell said no, and that he had to come in. And once again, Walter asked if he could come in another time, which is his right, because he is an informational witness, not a frickin' suspect. Uh, Worrell said no, um, because, quote, we want to solve the case a little girl was killed we just want to ask you some questions we will be in and out quick end quote walter arrived at 1 30 p.m at this point he had been awake for 30 straight hours the dickhead detectives would report that he didn't show up until um three but they would have him wait until five because that's a typical thing to do make the suspect wait suspect wait not the informational witness w- make the suspect wait um to see how they would react when he went in to sign the log book to say like i came in at 1 uh world told Wal- walter quote you don't need to you'll only be here a few minutes. "End quote." The two went into an elevator. Ogrod would not see sunlight again until the following morning. Questioning didn't start, at least according to Walter's timeline, until 3:45 p.m. Despite having told Walter, uh, Wurl that he was tired and wanting to go home multiple times. They were waiting because they had come up with a bullshit excuse that uh, Devlin, the other detective, had some errands to run and once that happened, it would be fine. Um, so he told him, like, hey, I really, like, need to get some sleep. I've been up for so long. I'm really tired. Can I please just go home and we can do this another time, right? Again. This is his right. He is an informational witness. He is not being held. He is not a suspect. It is his right. And they are doing this to him. Um, so, yeah, it didn't start till 345. They would later claim it didn't start until 545. They, as in the detectives. Part of the interview they didn't transcribe um, was asking him general questions and part of the interview, what they called an, quote, oral interview. Um, From this point on, aside from the timeline, everything had been normal, but here is where it diverges. According to Walter, after these general questions, he stood up to go, again, this is his right, and asked to call, uh, asked them if they had any more questions to call him, but he wanted to return home, he was getting tired. They closed the door right in his face, saying, quote, We think you might know something. We think you might have done it. And you're blocking it. End quote. Walter asked for a phone call, but they claimed they would get to that later. Dev- Devlin placed photos of dead Barbara Jean in the box in front of Walter, asking him questions like, quote, Do you remember putting her under the sink and washing her off? Do you remember putting her in the box? does this help you remember end quote very tv investigation if you've ever seen criminal minds or any other show like that this is something called the read technique i'm not going to get into it now maybe as another palate cleanser episode at um as this episode is undoubtedly going to be long already um they came up with a story so basically that's what the re-technique is. Anything you've seen on TV, that's what the re-technique is. That's all you need to know. So they came up with a story saying that Ogrod had invited Barbara Jean in when she asked if uh, Charlie Bird had been around, saying that he took her down to the basement, um, claiming that he, quote, had fun with her, end quote, and bombarding him with questions about why he had done it, where he put her clothes, Uh, claiming that people had seen him invite her in that day. This is a bluff. All while showing her pictures, uh, or showing him pictures of Barba Jean in the box, naked, beaten, and dead. Walter kept denying it. Finally, they said, quote, you need to go um, to a place where you can get some help. You need, uh, you seem a little off. Did you ever go to the doctor? End quote. And he admitted that he did, but he was younger, but he was better now. Then they kept bombarding him with questions and why he had done it. They kept doing this. They kept bombarding him with questions. Walter said, quote, I wouldn't do that. If I did, I would have killed myself. End quote. Notably, this statement written later by Devlin in Devlin's handwriting, quote, he would he would claim that Walter said, Quote, I feel like killing myself over this. If he didn't confess, the detectives said they were going to throw him in a cell with a bunch of black men, which the detectives had used the N word with the hard R. They're white either way, but they had to throw in the hard R. Um And they would tell the inmates that ogron had raped and killed a little black girl. At this point, Walter had five or six cups of coffee as it was the only thing able to keep him up because he had now been up for more than 36 straight hours at this point with all the yelling the pictures exhaustion and the bluff that someone had in fact seen him let barbara jean inside his home it all started to get to him he was spiraling wondering if he really could have done something and he was just blocking it out they asked him leading questions, w- uh, which when he gave answers to if he had gotten wrong, um, they would give him answers. So at one point, they even drew a map of the neighborhood so he could trace his route with the box. Devlin said, quote, No, people saw you here. You must have gone this way. End quote. With his life experiences, his mother convincing him things, right in front of him weren't real his severe social anxiety the fact that he was autistic and had difficulty reading social cues and having the maturity level of a teen rather than a now 27 year old on top of the exhaustion of not sleeping in a day and a half he was according to the judge careful now good johnson good johnson we're gonna go with it uh test a testability scale that was created to understand those who were at risk of giving false confessions according to an article done by the National Library of Medicine. So according to the book Walter took the test later and it was found that quote he was more suggestible and more easily manipulated than 95 percent of the population end quote. In the end, Walter ended up confessing and out of the confession came a 16-page document written by Devlin and on every page, Walter's signature was on it. In it, Walter explained that he let Barbara Jean in and took her downstairs to play doctor and he began to remove their clothes and force her to touch him. She screamed and this is when he started to hit her with what he he thought um, was a pipe but it also might have been the pull-down pulled bar from his weight set. There's more, but if you want more, go read the damn book. So, when it came to his Miranda rights, because this entire time you're probably wondering, like, what the fuck did they read? Did they read him his Miranda rights? Um, the answer is no. Uh, they didn't even say, you know, whatever. They gave it to him in a form of a questionnaire, and they didn't even allow it to answer himself. It himself. So um, when it was like you have the remind remind uh, you have the right to remain silent. Um, they said, "Did you want to stay stay silent?" And he was like, "Yes." And they were like, "Clearly, you didn't because we have this confession." And um, when he said he wanted a lawyer they said all you need to do is sign this paper and he did worse they only let him do this after his confession by the time walter had seen sunlight again he hadn't slept in two whole days let that sink in he hadn't slept in two whole days And we're going to get into why um, Walter might have seemed off um, a little bit more into it. Um, Basically, he just, you know, they didn't quite understand autism back then. And so by off, they were like, what in the world? And then also he couldn't, again, typical with most autistic diagnosis, um, diagnoses, is, you know, lack of emotional understanding. They would later claim that he talked for two straight hours without interruption, um, that he would be able to accurately express emotions. This is wrong, considering that the author of the book, Thomas Lowenstein, um, I said we're going to get into this. We're going to get into it now, not later, now. Uh, Thomas Lowenstein was like, I could barely get any of his emotions. Like, he called, he called um, prison monotonous and depressing. And that was the most he had gotten when it came to Walter's emotions. But if you want details about Walter's case, he knew everything. He knew every stop he had made on the 300 miles that he had driven the day that he was questioned. And you he knew everything about it. Everything. So it's just like... And at one point, he says something along the lines of... Can you give me a minute? This is hard on me and you. And Lowenstein was like... After talking to him for a year... This wouldn't have been possible. He wouldn't have... One, been able to understand... That the detectives were also pissed. Two, he wouldn't have been able to say... Give me a minute. Because he he didn't need that minute to talk about his emotions. He didn't need that. And three, he needed to understand that this was a tough topic. He wouldn't have been able to understand that. If he had done it. So. There are more things. Um, please Go read the book. The book is so good. Um, I don't want to use most of the author's stuff, but the auth—this is like the only good, like source that I can find other than bare bones what happened to Barbara Jean. So I, I have to take some of it, but the author put so much work into this. He worked with the Innocence Project it was insane please go read the book like it is so good it's so good if you have audible it's one credit like please for the love of god read the book it will be linked in the show notes it is so good and he lowenstein needs to be recognized for the amount of hard work that he put into this book it is so good okay now onto the trial, because, hoo boy, sign up for that. Alright, so in order to understand the trial, we have to understand the suppression hearing. And, as I keep mentioning the book before, uh... It's my main source, and it's because of this book that I'm able to actually have this information about the suppressing hearing to begin with. So, could Walter's confession alone be enough to get the death penalty? They had no physical evidence, as there was nothing left at the supposed scene of the crime after four years, and they never bothered to check his new place for any indication of other crimes or, God forbid, trophies not even his porn was anything worse than your average person's with no child porn in sight charlie bird at the age of 10 claimed that walter had shown him how to uh jerk off um to porn magazines but walter denies this and given the fact that the the detectives on the case were already capable of making a man say he committed a crime he swears he never did and also confessed under duress It makes me inclined to believe Walter, especially when detectives would also claim that they didn't know Walter had a speech impediment when, at least to the author, it it is difficult to even understand him at times. And that the apparent exchange was not brought up when Charlie had testified on the stand later. So the whole story was not um, brought up at the actual trial. I apologize I had you on there so in the suppression hearing um the one where both parties provide what they have to their arguments as well as the testimonies of the detectives and witnesses you know to bring up to the judge to bring up to everybody say this is what I'm gonna use in the trial even though there are no juries available so um yeah um, oh my goodness, I lost my place. So, both parties provide what they have for their arguments, as well as the testimony of detectives and witnesses. I'm going to bring up um a few specific instances, simply because of the sass rolling off of Mark Greenberg, the defense lawyer. According to the, to the transcript, Greenberg questioned Devlin and his version of events, as they claimed, they thought Ograd was your normal, average dude, and there were no signs that he was "quote unquote" off. During the hearing, Greenberg stated, quote, "Yet the first question on page 14 of the statement that you wrote down: Do you have? Do you know what ej- ejaculate means? Answer: Shooting your load, so to speak." what is it about mr ogrod detective devlin that made you ask a 27 year old to define what the word ejaculate means at this devlin fumbled and this was not the first time he had done so under greenberg's question in reference to the fact that devlin claimed that he had written he had written ogrod's confession quote-unquote verbatim Greenberg asked why the supposed confession, at least according to Devlin, took two hours and 45 minutes uninterrupted for what could only actually be a few minutes of dialogue. Devlin claimed that there were long pauses because Walter kept crying, but Greenberg continued to press. If saying that if that were the case, why wasn't it noted in the statement? Devlin said he only noted it once in the statement, but that it had happened many times. Eventually, he had to admit that the statement was not verbatim. Greenberg also brought up the landlord and how the detectives had questioned him about whether or not Walter had a weight set, implying that they were already thinking of Walter as a suspect, And that they were already thinking of a murder weapon, which, given that information, Walter's confession should have been thrown out entirely, making the whole argument null and void. But, um, yeah, because it's something supposedly the killer would know, and only the killer would know, but they would also have the opportunity to plant it in Ogrod's head during the immense amount of hours that he was um, questioned. He explained how Walter immediately told him oh, sorry, I missed line. So, um, he also called up another man named Peter Blust, who was Walter's original lawyer. He explained how Walter immediately told him everything the minute he was arrested in um, detail and the prosecution would later claim that Walter had come up with the story a false confession under duress with his lawyer a few days after he was arrested thus um making it so his story was you know couldn't be couldn't happen but his lawyer was like no he called me minutes and he wouldn't have been able to give me everything he gave me in detail within those minutes if he was making it up so the only problem The prosecution had done their research and found out that uh, Blust's practicing license was a few months overdue. And that he had been arrested for assault of an officer while he was drunk. Um, This making him a not credible witness. And he couldn't be used in the actual trial. Now, with this, it is time so his cooperation couldn't be used in the actual trial. And walter's defense would suffer immensely now here's where i talk about the actual trial and what went down buckle up because oh my goodness (laughs) i know i keep saying that with every like new thing that comes up in this case but I'm, i'm serious you guys it's it's insane So, the trial was an utter mess. When it came to the prosecution, they had to use Detective Whirl on the stand rather than Detective Devlin due to his fumbles during the suppression hearing. They also spent most of their time um, discrediting the eyewitnesses and the sketch, which is unusual for the prosecutors. Um, But with this case that's all they had and that was the main um main defense was the eyewitnesses in the sketch so they had to discredit the eyewitnesses in the sketch uh the only quote-unquote credible eyewitness according to the prosecution was a man who had seen the man with a bo- with the box for a split second and disagreed with the sketch The prosecution also claimed that there was a sperm head found in Barbara Jean's mouth and spent most of their time arguing that the child had been sexually assaulted even though there was no evidence to say that she was. The defense had had sent this sperm head, quote, unquote, off to the lab to extract DNA and there was no such thing found, which given the fact that it was the sperm head and not the sperm tail, that's where all the freaking DNA is so yada yada and there was uh, so there was no such thing found and it, this only further proved that ma- um this was only further proved when many forensic experts couldn't even find the sperm head uh, and those that did had to search for 10 minutes before admitting that the sperm head looked slightly different From what it was surrounded by, so this led the defense to say that there was likely it was likely some sort of debris rather than sperm head. When it came to their final statements, the prosecution straight up lied. Casey, the lawyer for the prosecution, claimed that upon cross examination with Walter ogrod and asking him about the box, Walter had said something like, "When I was carrying the box." end quote before catching himself, but according to the transcript, no such thing ever left Walter's mouth. Casey also managed to get the dates when Walter went to work and when the interrogation took place mixed up, claiming that Walter had eight hours of sleep. But he couldn't have, as according to the book, the first two hours uh during this time period were the two hours after Walter woke up on Saturday morning. Why would he wake up and immediately go back to sleep when he had work? And then for the next four hours, he was actually driving. And for the last two, he was sitting on the homicide bench. Sorry, I had to yawn again. <laughs> I'm tired, y'all. Um, so, he was sitting on the... On the... Homicide bench where he admitted that he had dozed off, but given the fact that uh, he had been awake for 30 straight hours, dozing off in those two hours was not the proper amount of sleep and still could have been considered sleep deprivation. <laughs> Casey also threw out random possibilities with no evidence, claiming that somehow Walter's work hours had been falsified. Not only that, but Casey loved to. Uh, paint Walter's a monster, explaining that Walter, quote, had an evil growth, end quote, living inside him, and quoting people such as Shakespeare and the philosopher Immanuel Kant, all in all, fancy words with no real meaning. According to the National Registry for Exonerations, the jury had deliberated for a total of nine hours, and it first came to the agreement for an acquittal, but, one juror stood up saying, quote, I do not agree with this verdict, quote. The juror was also known to tell others during their three-hour bus ride from their hotel to court that he would never let Walter go because something like that had happened to Barbara Jean. Uh, something that, like what happened to Barbara Jean had happened in his family and the killer had walked. So, that sounds a lot like, I don't know, a conflict of fucking interest. And he shouldn't have been on the jury to begin with. But um, the judge, Judge Stout, announced that it was a mistrial because of the one juror. Walter was seconds away from going home, and John Fay, Barbara Jean's stepfather, had jumped to attack Walter. He believed wholeheartedly that Walter was the one that killed his daughter and wanted him dead for it. Enter John Hall, a felon and a snitch known so well to multiple to police to police departments that he became known as the Mons... Mons... I hate the fact that there's a G. Mons... Sneer? Monsnor Whatever. Yeah, so. Because he was famous for getting confessions out of it. It's apparently some, like, religious... Thing. So, let's get into a little bit about John Hall and how he fucked over Walter Ogrod. So, once again, according to the National Registry for Exonerations, John Hall, as well as a friend of his by the name of Jay um, Wolchonsky that was awful and i know it had come forth stating that 18 months after walter went to prison he had confessed to them about what he had done john hall as i said before was constantly in the prosecutor's good graces because he apparent he was apparently really good at getting so-called confessions out of felons According to the book, Hall was able to do this because he was a con man who looked like a lawyer and claimed that he could give felons legal advice for their upcoming trials. Hall also had a wife on the outside who, on multiple occasions, would go to the victim's homes in a way to gain extra information for the case, where she would then write to him in jail about all of her findings hall would go forward with every case talking about how he was telling the prosecution these confessions he had heard quote out of his own personal disgust end quote and never wanted anything in return miraculously though every time he did so the police would write him a letter vouching for his better behavior in prison and wouldn't you know it his time in prison would get reduced funny how that works so two years after walter had gone to prison he had gone to trial yet again this time with wachonski who had gotten all of his information from hall to testify against walter ogrod walter did not testify in this trial on recommendation of his lawyer mark greenberg the prosecution however took his silence as a guilty conscience and on October 8th 1996 the jury came back with a unanimous vote that Walter was guilty the next day the jurors spent less than 90 minutes deliberating and came back with the unanimous agreement that Ogrod should be put to death Ogrod tried to appeal in 2007, especially after hearing the news of a man named Raymond Sheehan, Sheehan, um, had pled guilty to the murder and rape of a 10-year-old girl in 1987, a year before Barbara Jane's murder, and get this, the crime happened in the same fucking neighborhood. But obviously Ogrod's attempts were to no avail. But that was before the lawyers of the Federal Community Defender's Office and the attorneys from the Bingham McCutcheon LLP worked together for a petition of their own evidence. Now on to the exoneration of Walter O'Grodd. All right. So the petition, according to the National Registry for Exonerations, the petition that so had so many things to prove Ograd's in- innocence, including that neither Hall nor his buddy Wulczynski had ever never once interacted with Ograd. Hall's widow had even said that Hall told her that Ograd never confessed to him. Um, an eyewitness claimed to see a man. Uh, to see the man with the box and he had been smoking but there was no evidence that Ogrod was a smoker and a man had been in Ogrod's basement shortly after the murder to find that there was no sign of the crime or the cleanup. It was also brought forth evidence that Mark Greenberg, who had been appointed by the state and was being paid an extremely low amount of money for over 5,000 hours of work was not given evidence that he normally would have been privy to had he had proper access. Greenberg really tried hard with the the best that he had, but the prosecution took advantage of the fact that Greenberg did not have everything at both trials. Here are a few examples. One, the fact that Wolchonski had a myriad of health problems, including schizophrenia, which he had lied about on the stand, stating that he didn't, that in the original report, the murder weapon couldn't have been heavier than a baseball bat and would have been lighter... Uh, then the supposed murder weapon of the pull down bar from a weight set. This is correspondent with her injuries because if that was the case, if she had, if it had been a weight bar, she would have had skull fractures and there was no evidence that she had skull fractures. In fact, there was evidence that she had actually died of asphyxiation rather than blunt force trauma. Thirdly, interviews and letters from Ogrod's mother as well as nine of his past teachers pleading for his innocence, um which Wolchanski would state during trial that um Ogrod's mother believed that Ogrod was guilty and that o- Ogrod had threatened her. Um and that Hall had been a part of not, of 12 other trials claiming that he heard other people confess to s- however many crimes so the list goes on but you know read the book check out the sources you'll figure it out um it's insane on june 5th 2020 walter ogrod was a free man and while that might be happy a happy end for him it means that the man who killed barbara jean might still be out there and might have gotten away with it if we do not find evidence soon i hope to god that we will but that certainly shouldn't like that's i feel awful for the phase that must be such a hard pill to swallow um because now your daughter's death has not been avenged um and that that is a harsh reality so with that let's get on to the conclusion of the episode all right folks that is the end of this episode of there's too much to think um This episode took me forever. I'm sorry that it came out a day later than I intended it to. Um, But I hope you enjoyed it. Um, And by... Like, you can't really enjoy a murder case. But I had never heard of this case before. um, So I really wanted to shed some light on it. um, Because outside of the sources that I could find, it appeared that no one else really knew about this case. So... I wanted to just shed some light on it, hopefully we get some evidence soon, you know, with each passing year, DNA gets better and better, um, science gets better and better, so I hope that we can find out what happened to Barbara Jean Horn. um, even if the dude is dead, at least we can, you know, link it, um, I don't want to say so the parents can get some closure, because closure is not the right Word you can never get closure for taking a child away, Um, especially so young. But you know, like it's almost like closure, but not really. But I, I think, I think you know what I'm trying to say. So, with that, that is the end of this episode and the murder of Barbara Jean Horn. Um, you know, if you're on Spotify, please answer the question down below. If you, um, liked this episode enough to share it with somebody, please do so. I hope this was worth the two parts for you. Um, if you listen to me on Apple or Spotify or like any other place that you can rate this podcast or leave a review, please do so. Um, I have an official Instagram now, called there's too much to think pod on instagram this episode was edited by my boyfriend bello tonin on youtube it will be down in the description as well as all of my other sources um and yeah have a good day and my next case is gonna be just as depressing so get ready <laughs> but but before I end, we are back. We are back on our regularly scheduled program. It was just that one week so I could get home from school and um, research and whatnot. So it was that one week break, but we are back on our regularly uh, regularly scheduled program, unless you know family trips or whatnot. So bye bye.